0: Hey, it's Lynn Galadner, and this is the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm founder of the Your People Marketing and PR Agency, and I lead the Make Meaning Movement, a platform that helps purpose-driven visionaries and leaders do business with meaning. On this podcast, you'll hear stories of how people dare to take chances to live the life they want with meaningful work and purposeful days. There are many ways to fill your life with meaning. Join us at makemeaning.org to learn more. Now, on to the show. Today on the Make Meaning podcast, I have the honor of speaking with Iris Lee Underwood, a dear poet, author, and small-time farmer that I've known for a very long time. I remember fondly driving north with my three young children in the car on a warm summer day, eager to explore Iris's lavender farm beside her beautiful rural home. Born in Kentucky, Iris has been President of Detroit Working Writers and Writer-in-Residence with the Troy Public Library. She writes an award-winning weekly column for the Tri-City Times in Imlay City, Michigan, and her writing has appeared in a variety of magazines and newspapers. Iris has three books published and encourages people to write their stories as a way to leave a legacy. Iris, welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, my dear friend, I so wish we were conducting this interview in person (laughs) as we originally planned. Um, But thanks to the coronavirus pandemic, we are recording remotely from our home. So Mm -hmm. I'm sending you a big hug over the airwaves.
1: I wish you were here too.
0: (laughs) Actually, I do. I wish I'd rather be at your home than in the podcast studio. That would be quite a treat. (laughs) So how are you holding up at this time? You
1: know, life is not much different. As a writer, I spend a lot of time in seclusion, so I really haven't had to make any great changes in my life, so I'm fine. (laughs)
0: I mean, I guess the the blessing, there are so many blessings in it, actually, even though this is a challenging time, but, um, you know, it's getting warm in Michigan and mm-hmm. um, to be able to be outside. And just just this morning, I went for a walk in the sunshine and it was just so glorious. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if it were like negative 10 degrees and ice on the streets, I'm not sure I'd feel this way, but... <laughs> that is a saving grace of this time, right? Right. (laughs) So in this interview, I'd like to explore so many facets of your life and work. Um, You say you used to write poems about your family in Kentucky in the mountains and an old farm dog, and Mm -hmm. that writing was the way you expressed the beauty of the world and God and relationships. So um, take me on your journey of becoming a writer.
1: Well, I raised my three children, my three little girls, Mm -hmm. and um, my college education was interrupted with marriage Mm -hmm. and children. So when the youngest one was old enough for me to return to college, I did. Wow. And because even though I have the legacy of a storyteller, I needed to learn a little bit more about literature. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's nice to have a degree. Yeah. So I went back to school and um, uh, Oakland Community College, uh, Oakland University, and I earned my degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Meanwhile, I started writing a weekly column um, about the hardships and happinesses of raising three children. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the Oxford leader, which is over a hundred years old, and um, even though I don't live in Oxford, it's one of my communities. I live between Oxford and Rochester. Okay, so we're on a little plot of land that is uh, between two different communities. Mm -hmm. So the Oxford leader. Uh, accepted my pitch to um, write a weekly column about the hardships and happinesses called Encouraging Words. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they did, and that's how it all started.
0: Wow. And so you've been writing columns for quite a long time at this point.
1: Well, there was an interruption, of course, with the lavender farm for 10 years. Okay. So I wrote several years for the Oxford Leader, and then Uh, There, one of the editors, a female editor, just took me under her wing and gave me the opportunity to write features and profiles, Hmm. and the whole world opened up to me. Wow. Finding the everyday person who lived in the shadows Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and uh, writing about their lives and and, uh, giving them a voice in their community. It expanded my life beyond my own, Mm -hmm. my own experience. And then when the vision for the lavender farm came, I tried doing both, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't getting any sleep.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, your lavender farm was a full-time endeavor. I I loved visiting it and just the meandering quiet of the grounds around Mm -hmm. your home. And I know it was a tragedy in your life that brought you to lavender. So if you wouldn't mind, um, would you share with our listeners about losing your daughter and how that changed you and your understanding of your purpose on Earth?
1: Sure. Our oldest daughter, Becky, was a marvelous athlete, a very gifted person. There wasn't anything she couldn't do. She was a a state champion in cross-country and track. Mm -hmm. Um, However, when she went off to college at Hillsdale under a um, uh, college scholarship, a track scholarship, Mm -hmm. she had injured her back, and she couldn't run. And that put her, I think that put her into a depression mm-hmm. and she started drinking and I didn't know she was doing drugs then, mm-hmm. but um, it was an eight year journey of in and out of rehabs and it, and then she succumbed mm-hmm. and um, uh, she wasn't home mm-hmm. um, because for a good six or seven years of her life, the last six or seven years of her life. She didn't spend time at home. You know. mm-hmm. She would disappear and be gone months at a time. Yeah. So, you know, we received the call. And that in itself is a very tragic story, how we got the information. But mm. so, of course, it was a shock. And the two, my two younger daughters were in college. Mm-hmm. And um, just basically stumbled through life for several years. Mm-hmm. But it was my strong Christian faith that I, I knew that there was purpose in it. So meanwhile, I'm, I start my writing career and uh, mm-hmm. Becky died midway of my three years writing for the Oxford Leader, The Encouraging Words. So it was a wonderful mm-hmm. outlet, um, a way of learning to share my grief appropriately without burdening the public without being melodramatic, mm-hmm. and I had a lot of coaching during that time to help me do that. Mm-hmm. So, um, seven years after Becky died, meanwhile, I should say, I joined an herb group out at Seven Ponds Nature Center in Dryden. Mm-hmm. So, that satisfied the farm girl in me that had laid, laid uh, dormant mm-hmm. for years because I come from Appalachia, I come from farm people. Mm-hmm. and but that was not ever nurtured or developed okay until i went to seven ponds nature center and met these wonderful herb women who knew so much they knew what my grandmother knew hmm. what my ancestors knew mm-hmm. and i learned um then one day uh, oh and that's where i was introduced to lavender mm-hmm. i had never grown lavender in my gardens before it's a tricky herb it's a tricky plant Hmm. so I planted 11 plants in my perennial island and then one beautiful day I'm out there weeding this is seven years after Becky died mm-hmm. and I felt such a wholeness the concussion that concussed feeling of grief had lifted hmm. so I looked down and at my foot was a lavender plant So I brushed it with my ankle and up came that wonderful scent. There is an oil, there is a chemical in the in lavender oil. Mm -hmm. That's why they call these plants medicinal plants. There Mm -hmm. is a medicinal quality to lavender Mm -hmm. that calms you. So in handling lavender, I was helping to heal myself. Wow. And then I realized, you know what? I haven't had a migraine headache in a long time because huh. I'd been plagued with those from the time I was in fifth grade. Oh, wow. um, so the sky was beautiful like it is today. I can't believe how beautiful the sky is out there. <laughs> That's true. And I looked up into the sky and I realized I was in the process of being healed. Hmm. So I, I thank God for it. And I looked over to the the left to our property that was not mowed, it was just natural uh, prairie. Uh But I didn't see that. Uh I saw rows and rows of lavender, blooming Uh lavender. And instantaneously, I knew I had seen a vision. Uh I've seen a few in my life. Because there was a surge of hope Uh and a sense of purpose that came with it, Uh I felt a responsibility to share this with people. Mm -hmm. So I, later on when my husband came home, I told him about the experience and I said, I think I'm going to be a lavender farmer.
0: And you planted your property with lots of rows of lavender. I remember Mm -hmm. being there and taking it in visually and um, the scent. And I mean, it was really comforting and just gorgeous. So just tell our listeners a little bit about that journey of opening your property really widely to the public. You had big events there
1: <laughs> you know it's it's so funny because um, I'm the visionary in the family so i when I tell my my husband I'm going to be a farmer, he said, "Are you crazy? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to be?" Um, tied to a farm every summer and never take a vacation. (laughs) So my answer was, yes, I'm crazy. You know, I am. That's why you married me. (laughs) You love me because I I love to climb trees. You know, that's what we did on dates. I climbed trees.
0: (laughs) I love it. I love it.
1: (laughs) So, and I said, since when did you take us on a family vacation in the summer? <laughs> I have nothing to lose here, right. but everything to gain. Sure, sure. So even though I'm an introvert at times, because you have to be sort of an introvert to be a writer, I am absolutely an expert. Absolutely. I love people. I love serving people, uh, cooking, setting a table. So Lavender Farm was perfect. Inviting people to my farm to clip lavender, put it to their nose, mm-hmm. and learn as I learned. See, I knew very little. I had raised gardens, but I didn't know lavender. Uh, lavender's Latin name was lavandula angustifolia. <laughs> I didn't know those things. I didn't know there were very many different kinds of lavender. There's the English lavender. There's the stoicus, which is Spanish. I didn't know all that. Mm-hmm. So I plunged into the small farm conferences. Oh, wow. And I contacted Michigan State University, which at times grossly misled me because they (laughs) knew much less about lavender than I did. (laughs) Wow. Wow. But just being around farmers, catching the spirit, and seeing young people with babies coming to these conferences, I knew. I had found my tribe.
0: Sure, sure.
1: So I had my writing life and my farming life that I nurtured. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the herb group continued to uh, encourage me and teach me because it's hands-on. And it's so low-key. There's no board. There's... There's no argumentation whatsoever. <laughs> you, get right? in the, you get in the garden and you weed.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's cathartic. It's it's yes. energizing. It's so many things. I I just yeah, it's rejuvenating to be yes. in the garden and in the dirt and and um and I'm just keep thinking about you know uh, rubbing lavender between my hands and mm-hmm. that scent that lingers and and I remember your lavender scones. I mean, <laughs> that's when it first occurred to me that. You could consume lavender, yeah. you know <laughs> so I know that you still make lemon ice cream, lavender, lemon ice cream and scones. Mm-hmm. I know you love to cook for people, so you said you're planting 75 lavender plants this spring. Do you miss yes. the farm, or do you just did it just get too big to manage?:
1: Well, see I was 55 when the vision came, uh-huh, and watching my mother's health deteriorate, mm-hmm. I had the wisdom to know I had to make a commitment for a certain amount of time. Sure. So when the vision came, I made a bargain with God. I said, okay, 10 years, I'm 55. In those 10 years, I'm pretty much going to burn out 20 years of my life. (laughs) Because I was starting from scratch. Right, right. And I knew my husband would be no help. (laughs) Because he doesn't necessarily like to work outside. Or he didn't. Uh He does now. Oh. But, yeah, he's been converted somewhat. Nice. But, you, Lynn, you know how women are when another woman has a vision. I had such an outpouring of support. Mm. It came from my writing life. It came from the herb group. It came from the people who I um, painted with because mm-hmm. Mel and I did pastel painting for five years uh-huh. um, on Friday night to help heal together. Uh-huh. Wow. Um Wow. In the, the time that I uh, was teaching writing classes at the Troy Public Library, mm-hmm. you wouldn't believe the women from that group who came out to the farm. Women are visionary creatures. Yes. So they helped me build the farm. And I I hired people. <laughs> I was an employer. Can you believe that? <laughs> A dyslexic woman who can't add <laughs> if it hadn't been for my calculator, I would have never made it. And then, of course, the events came about because I wanted to portray the farm life and the many facets in which it is. Mm-hmm. So I had a soprano come out and do an opera night. Wow. Um, you know, just various kinds of things. But in the process, I learned sustainability. I learned about beekeeping, so I'm a beekeeper. I learned about uh, solar energy, so now we have a solar panel in our backyard. Mm-hmm. That vision of the lavender farm was not just for me. It was for anybody who wanted to sit and learn, sip lavender lemon lemonade or tea or the ice cream or the brownies or whatever, and laugh. There was so much laughter. That's what I miss, Lynn. I miss the camaraderie. So what I've done every year is I invite private groups out. Mm -hmm. Okay. We sit and we eat and we laugh and we talk. And at this point, there's not one lavender field planted Mm -hmm. because lavender has a lifespan like everything else. Okay. So all the old lavender is gone, but now I have a new plot ready for my... Well, not quite ready. I have to put down some weed cloth. Okay. I've learned a few things. I've learned my limitations. 75 Grasso lavender plants. They're the plants with the very long stems. Uh-huh. Uh, those are at... Um, they're ready for me to pick up from Telly's greenhouse uh-huh. when the weather is agreeable. And I will hire a few more friends and we will get those lavender plants in. And I will soon, in three years, I will have lav- mature lavender plants blooming outside my kitchen window hmm. so I can drool over them and harvest them and sell lab- culinary lavender and bundles of lavender.
0: Wow. Well, if you need help planting, I'm available. So oh. I would have no qualms about getting in the car and driving north and joining you in this in this pursuit, so just you know where to find me.
1: <laughs> okay, under one condition, you bring your children.
0: Oh yeah. Oh, I think they would jump at it. Actually, I really do. It's funny. Um, I have other questions I want to ask you, but I'll just tell you a little side. You know, I've always taken my children to orchards and on nature hikes, and um, my lovely sixteen-year-old daughter for years would fight me on these nature hikes and just say it's <laughs> ridiculous. I don't want to spend my time there and complain. And then um, a few months ago, before the shutdown. Um, she actually led a bunch of her friends to one of the hikes that we do all the time uh-huh. and took them and narrated the hike the way I always did and like <laughs> willingly. <laughs> and I thought, oh, thank God. <laughs> there was some effect. There was something, you know, that that I passed on. So I bet she would. And she's very into cooking now. So I think that the culinary angle will probably grab her. Definitely.
1: <laughs> oh, there's so, nothing like it. There's, there's nothing like lavender ganache.
0: Oh, that sounds delicious.
1: Oh, it's, it's out of this world.
0: I'll tell you, um, she made me a beautiful Mother's Day cake, and it, it's really beautiful. And when we sat down to eat it, she said, I just want you all to know this cake has 9,000 calories. <laughs> She did the math, and she said, would you like a 500-calorie slice or a 1,000-calorie slice? And so, of course, I went for the lower slice, but my 13-year-old son was like, I'll take the 1,000.
1: I'll take your calories, Bob. Right? So
0: anyway, um, well, I want to go back to something you said. You said you're from Appalachia, and I know that you come from the McCoy side of the Hatfield McCoy Legends, right? Yes. So, share with our listeners a little bit about what that means, and you know how Appalachian lore factors into your identity, or this, you know, this connection and how you see the world. I'd love to just hear a little bit about that.
1: Okay. Well, my grandfather Floyd McCoy, my mom told me these little tidbits throughout my life, my childhood, and especially my adulthood. Mm -hmm. I had thankfully had the presence of mind to interview her in two thousand. She had just moved back. To the McCoy home place. Now, Appalachians are very attached to their home places because they're usually farm homes. And mom left the home place when she and dad moved us up to Detroit in 1954. Mm -hmm. So all I heard all my life was home place, home place. And every summer we would go south for vacation to McCoy Bottom, which is a flatland between mountains. Hmm. And Peter Creek, which is a stream that's 99 miles long, if it was a river, it would be 100 miles long. So Peter Creek runs along the McCoy bottom. Mm-hmm. So I am still part heir of the mountains, the mountainside around the McCoy bottom, uh with all all my many many cousins and my sisters. I am one of many heirs of acreage mountainside that um flows to the Tug River, which is the boundary bef- between Kentucky and West Virginia. Hmm. And I was actually born in Matewan Hospital in West Virginia. Mm-hmm. So I'm a woman who has loyalties t- to three states, West Virginia, <laughs> Kentucky, and Michigan. <laughs> okay, okay. So the home place is where my heart is, and it's fallen to disrepair. Somebody purchased it because most of the McCoys who lived in the bottom have left. I have one uncle, 89 years old, who still lives in the McCoy bottom, but the home place went under renovation, and then there was problems with the owner, so it's been standing vacant for several years. But that McCoy bottom is where I ran uh, the most joyful little child in the world with Mm -hmm. old Shepard Collie, Mm -hmm. uh, climbed uh, green apple trees, and uh, ran by the, the barn because it had bats in it. And the bat scared me to death. <laughs> so that, that's my beginning mm-hmm. that has very deep roots. Uh, Grandpa Floyd was a farmer. His, his father, Larkin McCoy, was a logger. Okay. So he logged the mountains, built his, his home place, which is an old home place, which does not exist. Okay. But I have made a painting of it. Uh-huh. And I'm very excited about that. That has never left me. Mm-hmm. Um, that farm part of me, that independent spirit of grow your own food, grow your own meat, mm-hmm. um, pull your water from the well, that rugged, independent life of living off the land. So it took me a while to get to that place. And I I we have a well, of course, but I don't pull water out of it. <laughs> yeah. um, I would like to do that, but there's some things you just can't do because of township codes and ordinances. And... But if I could, at my age of 71 years old, if I could, I would buy that home place that's deserted. And renovate it. And that would be my second home. But I cannot do that. I'm at the age that I cannot do that. Mm-hmm. Because my purpose now is to write. I'm writing a novella called Matewan Garden Club, okay. which is my fantasy of what could have happened to those little coal towns, those little areas, had they had a vision for another industry other than coal. And guess what that industry
0: is? It's
1: horticulture
0: because nothing blooms more beautifully than Appalachia. So it's interesting that you're saying that at this time also, because you know we're, we're seeing what's happening around the world with mm-hmm. people getting out of the way and allowing nature to do what it does best. You know, it doesn't need us. And in mm-hmm. fact, we inhibit its natural beauty and growth. And it's its just really, I feel it's such a, an intellectual quandary because, mm-hmm. um, you know, we we want to move forward. We want to progress. We want to see what we can develop. But at the same time, I'm really cherishing this, this slowing down. And mm-hmm. it was so clear to me just from the beginning, you know, how easily it was, to um, just, you know, take things out of our lives and reduce our budgets and live simply and Mm -hmm. peacefully. I mean, I haven't awoken to an alarm clock in months and it's so nice, you know, and I just, there's a, there's a rhythm that I think we've, we lost in getting so busy and so distracted and and the world's showing us, you know, teaching us a lesson. (laughs) It's like, you know, we're in a timeout because we've been bad. So, um, it's interesting, but um, but I can't wait to read that book. And I would love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about the books that you've had published already.
1: All right. I, I have self-published all my books. Okay. Um, the traditional publishing houses have not been interested. And thankfully, uh, I became a writer at the time that uh, technology was making it possible to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but at this stage, of course, technology is very much complicating things. <laughs> Uh, so long story short, I published uh, uh, the collection of essays, mm-hmm. uh, columns that I wrote for the Oxford Leader, uh-huh. and then I published a uh, poetry book. Uh-huh. Um, some of the poems were published by uh, journals and other places, but the majority of them were not. Okay. And then I self-published my big opus, mm-hmm. The Mantle, which is... Um, my take on man's self-destruction mm-hmm. and our recovery from it. Hmm. My opinion is we do not have to worry about global warming. The, the earth is going to restore itself. Hmm. It restores itself. I see it time and time again. Okay. Every time I go back to Appalachia and I see the empty coal fields, the mountains, they know what to do. The seed is there. Even though the the mountaintops were removed for mining, the mountains still survive. They even, they're even removing entire mountains mm-hmm. for coal. But the earth will still prevail because the seed is in it. It has an intelligence and a will of its own. It was created by a marvelous creator.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And nothing can change its DNA.
0: Nothing. Well, we will share um, links to purchase your books in the show notes when this episode airs so that people oh, can... You get copies and be in touch. Um, I'll make sure to get that from you. Um, And so Iris, you know, it's so nice to chat with you. And I loved how you shared with me the quote from Wendell Berry, Mm -hmm. farm according to your scale and what you can handle. Mm -hmm. Um, And you say that, you know, that's how every person should live their life, no matter Mm -hmm. what their occupation. Mm -hmm. So I usually finish each show by asking my guests what permission slip they would offer to our listeners. You know, what permission you might give um, listeners to give themselves to set them on a path toward identifying their meaning and living with purpose. And so I wonder what permissions that you'd have to offer today. Well,
1: I learned this the hard way. I love people. I love being with people. And I love to say yes. And I had to learn to say no. Hmm. I had to give myself permission to leave time and energy and mind to fulfill my purpose which is to write my story and leave my legacy and encourage others to write their story and leave their legacy. And they cannot do it if they're on Facebook (laughs) all day long or if they're fulfilling somebody else's purpose all day long. You know, we learn by mistakes and hopefully we will have enough life and time and mind left to fulfill our purpose. So I just encourage the listener to take up the pen and write. Don't be concerned about what comes out. You will be amazed at what comes out.
0: That is a really wonderful note to leave our listeners on today. Iris Lee Underwood, it is such an honor to chat with you. I'm just delighted and I cannot wait for the time, hopefully soon, when I can just hug you and sit with (laughs) you and really, really catch up. So thank you for being on the Make Meaning Podcast.
1: And you can count on the scones being on the table.
0: Ooh, ooh, I hope it's very soon. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for joining me, Iris. And thank you, Lynn. This has been an honor. Thanks for listening to the Make Meaning Podcast with Lynn Galodner. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what you've heard here, join us over at makemeaning.org to discover how you can add more meaning to your life. And hey, if you like our conversations, please subscribe and share this episode with the meaningful people in your world.